1: From the outside looking in, living in the Midwest during winter months can be brutal. You've got frigid temperatures that can take your breath away, blizzards that will stack the snow over the roof of your house, But today's guest knows a thing or two about Midwest winters, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. Tom Skilling has been the chief meteorologist at WGN-TV in Chicago since 1978. Now, if you're counting, that's 40 years. In that span of time, it can feel like the media and television industry can change as much as the weather. We'll talk about these changes and so much more with legendary broadcast meteorologist Tom Skilling. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepherd from the University of Georgia and this is the Weather Geeks podcast. Tom, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Marshall, it is a, an absolute pleasure. And finally, to meet you, I, you know, I've followed your work for but for years, but we've never had a chance to actually visit. So I'm flattered you'd ask and invite me uh, on here, and I'm looking forward to talking with yeah, you.
1: Yeah, isn't isn't that amazing? I know we've shared a couple of emails and almost <laughs> yes. crossed pass a few times when I was AMS <laughs> president, but have not actually had yes. a chance to speak with each other. So it's
0: it's it's my honor. Uh, it's an honor for me to be able to talk to you. Well, right back at you, Marshall. It's a, it's a real honor here. And by the way, I uh, think what you do in educating the public on meteorology is just amazing. Your Forbes column, all of your outreach is, uh, is amazing. So thank you for including me in this uh, podcast it's going to be fun well I think that's uh, I, I first of all thank
1: you so much but really I mean it's it's my honor this you're, you're a legend in meteorology and it's <laughs> someone we've wanted to have on the weather geeks podcast and so I, I want to take a journey through your career uh, we're gonna start sure. at the beginning and then kind of midway through talk a little bit more about sort of your WGn years and then I want to get your thoughts on a variety of topics at the end but I want to dive in sure. to sort of just telling the listeners where
0: you grew up? And what was it like growing up in Uh, those Midwest winters? Well, I'll tell you, Marshall, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Don't remember it. Only lived there two years. My folks are natives of the Pittsburgh area. And then uh, my dad was transferred out, commuted into New York every day from New Jersey. So I lived 13 years in a commuter suburb, uh, Westfield, New Jersey. And then my dad was transferred out to the Midwest in 1965. So the whole family moved out here And it's been a delight. uh, I've worked, uh, grown up and worked here uh, all those years. I went up to the University of Wisconsin. That's where I studied uh, from uh, 70 to 74 and worked in Milwaukee three years, worked in Jacksonville, Florida for a year. But basically, I've been here in the Midwest and I've been here at WGN uh, since 1978. And, you know, Marshall, I needn't tell you. I, I tell uh, our young interns and the young people with whom I work who are always amazing uh if you had to parachute into a profession uh, at a fascinating time in its history uh, the past 50 years in meteorology has been uh, stunning uh, I I, I, I it, it's just amazing you know one of my dear friends and uh he was finishing his doctorate when I was up at the University of Wisconsin is Louis Uccellini and uh, I Yes, indeed. And uh, another uh, uh, past president of the AMS and, of course, the head of our weather service. But, um, you know, I remember we would gather on the 14th floor of the Space Science and Engineering Building. We call ourselves the Fax Rats when I was going to school back in the early 70s. And uh, as an undergrad, I'd be there with the grad students and marveling at their command of the subject and wondering if ever there would be a moment where I had anything close to their level of expertise as we discussed the impending storm and its development. I learned so much in those, those sessions. But I say to Louie when I see him now, Louis, would you have imagined this profession uh, would have come as far as it has in terms of remote sensing, modeling Uh, It's been an amazing uh, revolution, a series of revolutions that we've uh, all been party to. Yeah, I wanted to actually ask you about
1: that, Tom. I actually spent a little time up there at the University of Wisconsin, oh, probably about a year and a half, two ago. I was invited up to give a talk, and I was, I think, at the top of that building that you were talking about. It was really an amazing view. But you were yes. there, you were there at Wisconsin during a time when things like satellites were still new, uh, weather presentation oh, yeah. software was being developed. So I was curious oh, yes. what the energy like as a young meteorologist at that time, just to see some of these things really in their infancy. That that We sort of take for granted now.
0: Oh, it, it, you're so tr- you're so accurate on that. Um, you know that was an amazing. That, that was a uh, kind of a scary time. It was during the Vietnam War that there was a lot of instability on that campus and all related to the war. But I kind of kept my sanity by <laughs> hanging out in the the weather building uh, there and uh, with uh, fellow meteorology students. And I'll tell you something. Uh, we would sit in classes. And watch Dr. Werner Sumi was there, of course, the father of the geosynchronous orbit weather satellite. Madison, the UW uh, campus, is considered the birthplace of satellite meteorology, and indeed it is.
1: Indeed it is. I mean, I, you know, I, one of my professors at Florida State University was Eric Smith, who uh, worked very yes. closely with Vern Sumi.
0: Yes, uh, it, it's incredible. We sat and watched land falling hurricanes in real time. And, you know, this would seem amazing to young people in our profession today, but we had never seen that before. And, of course, they developed Mekitis up there, which was, you know, a, a system that enabled you to lay uh, atmospheric parameters on top of satellite imagery and understand the mechanisms that were driving the weather's development. We had not seen that before. Um, it was in stunning. And, and in very real sense, all the databases we use today have at their core, uh, you know, Makitis, uh, which is still in use at the National Weather Service. Um, sure, sure, it's uh, it's stunning. But, uh, you know, I, I, I met Dr. Sumi one time at a, uh, a gathering, a Christmas gathering years later, and I said, you know, you really were a visionary. How in the world... Did you understand as completely as you did what having these space platforms would uh, allow us to see and how we could remotely sense the atmosphere? And, of course, he was very much in favor of all the countries of the world talking to their respective governments and getting them involved in uh, the launching of satellites. And he envisioned a world in which we would see every weather system from birth to death, which, of course, has become a total reality Uh, And uh, we're able to remotely sense the poorly observed oceanic areas and initialize our incredible numerical models models that get better and better with each passing day and year. Um, So it was... A lot of stuff going on up there at the time. and uh, It's just amazing. I mean, I, I can't imagine being there at
1: that time. We're, we're talking with Tom Skilling, WGN-TV chief meteorologist, who celebrated his 40th anniversary with WGN-TV, <laughs> I think in You've August. done your homework. Oh. I'll tell you
0: something. <laughs> You know, I try to do
1: homework, but I, you know, I I have to give credit to my colleagues here at the Weather Channel as well. They they do a nice job of doing research and, you know, allowing me to come in and talk to great, I mean, Let's just keep. Can I keep it real with the listeners for a second? Tom Skilling is a legend in the field. If oh, you don't gosh. know who he Ma- is, uh, I, I can't imagine that that's not the case. If you're listening to this podcast, I mean, I, I grew up in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Tom and yes. uh, w- yes. WGn being one of the super stations, we could get you here yes. in the, in Georgia. So I mean, I grew up watching you at times. Uh, I know one of my good friends, Alan Seals, even worked with you for a time there as a colleague. Yes, as well. indeed. Yeah. What are your any good story, Alan St- Seals story? He's the current president or
0: outgoing president of
1: the NWA.
0: Oh, I'll tell you something. It's been fun to watch that career take off. Uh, You know, Alan carries the same passion toward this profession that you and I and so many of our colleagues have. There's a unique uh, love and affection, I think, for uh, science and for the way nature works among people in our line of work. And Alan uh, definitely Uh, Possess that, and uh, his career uh, has been a testament to just the, what an amazing grasp of the, grasp of the subject and passion for it that Alan exudes. You know something else? Uh, I used to get together with uh, John Coleman here, who did the weather on the local station, and as he was envisioning putting the Weather Channel together. We would get together um, after our respective 10 o'clock shows here and go to a little restaurant uh, in downtown Chicago. Uh, we I remember one time Harry Carey, the famous legendary baseball announcer, walked by. <laughs> yes, he walked by one night as we were all sitting there, and I'd be there with John and Pam Penniston, his, article, his artist, and uh, I remember he was frustrated because he did the weather on Good Morning America by the lack of time he had. And I said to him one day, you know, John, there's going to come a day when there's a 24-hour weather channel and we're going to have all the time we need. And he kind of looked at me curiously and a several weeks later during a subsequent dinner, he said, you know that weather channel you were talking about? I've been working on uh, putting that together. He would do... He was approached by the Today Show to go to work for them and do the weather and had a handshake agreement with his management here in Chicago that if a network opportunity came along, they would let him go. But several general managers had passed since this handshake agreement had been reached, and uh, when he went in and said that today's show's after me, uh, they said, well, we don't recognize that agreement. You have to stay here on our local show. So he would do the evening news, stay up all night, get ready for Good Morning America, and then would get on planes out to New York or wherever, where he would talk to Madison Avenue folks and uh, propose the idea of a weather channel. And he did a demo tape uh, in Merv Griffin's studio, Uh, the first one that laid out uh, what a weather channel might look like, because nobody at that time had any idea what a weather channel would be. So we went out there, spent a whole weekend to produce a half-hour tape. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, how are we going to pull this off in real time when it takes two days to make a half-hour demo tape? But clearly, uh, it's happened. You know, the weather channel is a phenomenon. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happened with John on the climate change issue. I, uh, he and I would have some very frank discussions about that today. But yeah, I'll tell I wanna, you, and I contri- want to talk to you a little bit later about some of that,
1: because as you well know, as I do, former president of AMS and you being such a uh, sort of an icon in our field, there, there's sort of some divergence even in the broadcast community on the whole notion of weather presentation versus climate. I know. Yeah. Well, we'll, well, let's save that because I want to I want to I want to talk to you that towards the end. But I'm going to circle back to that. I want to kind of get to something when you were talking about Alan that I'm curious about with you, um, because I know you actually started some on air work as early as age 14. uh, But what made what made you want to pursue meteorology? And did you know even at that point that you always wanted to be on camera?
0: Marshall, I had no idea. I never set out to be a media weather type, never. Uh, from a little boy, I had paper routes, and I made 4 or $5 a week, and my ambition was to put a bedroom radar set in. And I even wrote Bendix Corporation, and uh, you know, to get the <laughs> price stats. And was so foolish to think that with my four dollar a week paper route, I might be able at some point to buy a radar. But I, I used to buy weather equipment. I went through the Belford Instrument Company catalogs and Science Associates, and I used to dream about the instruments I was going to buy. And as it turns out, I only had enough money to buy a sling psychrometer and a you know barometer and a min max thermometer. I couldn't afford the the really cool stuff. And I remember my prize possession was the uh, wind scope, anemometer, and wind vane, which uh, my dad had talked to somebody and got it half price. It was a $100 at the time. We got it for $50, and I put that on my roof. And at any rate, when we moved from... Uh, New Jersey, out here to the Midwest, I used to get the Daily Weather Map out of the Office of the Superintendent of Documents. It was a Daily Weather Map publication, beautifully done, done by the by the United States Weather Bureau at that time, and uh, subsequently renamed the Weather Service, obviously. But... um I would get it the next day because it was mailed from Washington, and you get a surface map, a five hundred millibar chart. And as a young person, we didn't have the internet. There was no way to get an upper air chart. And I used to wonder when I watched the looked at the weather pages in the New York Times or the Newark Evening News, how it was when they put that little insert map that showed you what the weather map tomorrow was going to be like, how they knew that that front, which had no waves on it, was going to develop a wave on it that would turn into a big storm. I used to think that was amazing, and I figured, well, it must have something to do with the upper air. Uh, At any rate, uh, that I could uh, kind of follow with the daily weather map through the upper air map. But the problem was when I moved out here to Chicago, this came four days later, uh, it was too late to, you know, look at as a real time reflection of what was going on in the weather. And I was frustrated. So I wrote a radio station in Aurora, a western suburb of Chicago. and I, I'm told it was an eight page letter. And I said, look, if you can get me some current weather maps, uh, I'll do a forecast for you. This is from a 14 year old. Uh, and and they thought, well, it's kind of an intriguing concept, I guess. So Rusty Tim, who was a program director, and I got in the car. and We drove in here to the uh, then United States Weather Bureau office on the University of Chicago campus, talked to a guy, Joe Folks, who was uh, head of the office here, and he agreed to send out maps. We'd provide self-addressed stamped envelopes. And uh, they had a big Bruning Architects-type reproduction machine because they hand-plotted a lot of maps in those days within the office. And the Chicago office was doing the forecast for Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa, if memory serves me completely. That all came out of Chicago. And... uh, And so they would send these maps out, and we would pay the reproduction costs, and I got my weather maps. But I also got a foot in the door in media weather, and that's how I started on the media track. Uh, sure. So wow. So it, it really was, was kind of a,
1: it, it was sparked by this interest and curiosity and then an opportunity presented itself. And I guess the rest 40 plus years later is history. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it. It, it's really interesting. You, you know, you have been pretty much in Chicago, uh, most of your career. Do you think you could live in another yes. city and forecast in another city? Or have you even, yeah, has that you know, opportunity even presented it? So I know you said you were there at some other cities prior, but really people know you as Chicago.
0: Yeah, you know, Marshall, you spend a career uh, following the weather in a given area and you develop an expertise that only is gained through year after year and decade after decade in an area. Uh, I feel so totally comfortable. I grew up in New Jersey. Well, I did hurricane tracking charts and all. I figured when I moved out to the Midwest, the, the only thing I would miss out here would be hurricanes and tropical cyclones uh, that we'd have about everything else. Well, uh, you know, we have these severe weather outbreaks. I've been here and witnessed to the coldest temperature ever recorded on record out here in 82 and 85. We had the biggest snowstorm that changed the uh, mayor uh, through the entire political structure of the city into chaos in 78 with Mayor Jane Byrne and Michael Bolandik. Bolandic was mayor at the time. Said everything was going just swell, and yet a snowstorm had crippled the city, and everybody in the city knew it wasn't. And he lost his job to Jane Byrne. Uh, I've been here for the the horrible uh, Plainfield tornado that struck without warming, warning, warning on a late August day in 1990. Uh, we saw uh, that terrible heat wave disaster. The largest it, it to this day is the largest. Uh, loss of life due to a natural disaster in our city. It was the heat in July of 1995, which takes on great relevance in our discussions of climate change. Yeah, absolutely. In um,
1: 1995, th- I remember that well. And it really speaks to this notion that heat can be as deadly as some of the more telegenic oh, uh, or sort of dramatic weather like tornadoes and hurricanes.
0: So true. So true. And we proved it here. We lost over 700 Chicagoans Uh, many of whom uh, never were properly identified. Uh, There were all kinds of sociological uh, studies done afterwards about the elderly and the young who perished in that uh, and, and how it was related to the breakdown of the family structure and, and our neighborliness uh, looking in on others and the elderly that live in our midst uh, and how important it is we do that in these extreme weather events. Um, So it was amazing. And a year later, we had a catastrophic flood, the biggest ever in the state of Illinois, 17 inches of rain fell in 24 hours. We had homes with water up to the third floor dormers uh, after that. So I, the experience here in the Midwest has been phenomenal. I can't see moving anywhere else at this late stage of my life. Um, and I wouldn't want to. I, I remember news consultants one time said, would you consider a job on the West Coast? I said, in those days, we didn't. Have the mesoscale modeling we do today and uh, the satellite uh, imagery. I said to them, "No, I, I remember attending a weather conference where uh, the meteorologist at KNBC said the most exciting thing that goes on here in Los Angeles." is the uh, rise and the the ascension and the sinking of the uh, inversion layer with uh, diurnally. Yeah, with the marine layer out there, yep. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, that's not for me. And yet, you know, the weather is fascinating in every region of the country in its own way. I just happen to feel comfortable after all these years with our Midwest weather and its vagaries, and and they are something to, to see.
1: to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm having a great time talking to Tom Skilling, uh, WGN TV chief meteorologist. I want to pivot now. You've you've heard me mention a few times that Tom is a pioneer, a legend. Let me just put some proof behind those statements. Tom's known for his extended and in-depth weather forecast uh, at WGN. (laughs) Uh, Over a decade ago, he coordinated the launch of the Tribune Weather Center, which combined television station with the Chicago Tribune newspaper. Uh, those are pioneering in addition to being involved with WGN, which is one of the early super stations that reach people all across the nation. Uh, so those are pioneering efforts and there are many other things as well. Uh, what was your motivation for some of the types of unique things that you've brought to the broadcast meteorology field?
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, you know, we in the weather profession, all of us are, uh, Great at uh, conceptualizing how nature is putting our weather together. We have to do that in order to be able to forecast it. So, um, in when in terms of my television presentations, I always was frustrated by the plexiglass boards and the magnetic, uh, the blinking highs and lows, you know, which constituted a weather show years ago. I thought there's so much more in this story to put across. So, uh, we were the among the first uh, stations in this market. Uh, to computerize our weather graphics. I always felt that was the way to go as well as accessing the amazing satellite imagery and putting this across. Uh, we've been excited to put the model data that all of us in meteorology and broadcast meteorology can put across and share with our viewers today. Uh, in terms of the newspaper weather page, I was always frustrated at how poor a lot of these weather pages were. Uh, they've improved a great deal since then, but Uh, I always thought uh, the the Tribune weather page would be a success if it was hanging on the wall of uh, classrooms around the area. And if we could use not only uh, the the, uh, page as a means to communicate tomorrow's weather and the weather and the the days ahead, but also to educate uh, somehow. So we incorporate a little vignette every day, which tries to describe uh, how and conceptualize graphically how the weather is going to be put together. I always thought... Uh, that Dr. Ted Fujita and his ability to visualize um, uh, tornadoes and microbursts and downbursts and all, and the work he did over the years, you go through his catalog of uh, uh, papers and, and uh, the visuals he produced. He was a master at that, and it made it clear to people uh, how the weather was working. And I think there's an increased relevance uh, to the weather when that's the case. Yeah, I, I and, agree, I
1: agree completely, which is what, as you noted earlier, that's one of the things I try to do in the Forbes articles do. that I write, and uh, we had Greg Forbes on the Weather Geeks podcast earlier in the year, and he talked about some of that very thing. Now, one thing that you mentioned, though, is you, you talked about the in-depth weather forecast that you do at WGN,
0: and you talked about yes. the, the uh, By newspaper. By the way, yep, go ahead. It, it, Marshall, what I was going to say is I've driven many a TV producer crazy. I, You know, they... they <laughs> they meteorologists in the country, time (laughs) is always one of the
1: biggest complaints. So, yeah, I bet your news director is going crazy. But, hey, when you're Tom Skilling, you can do that. Because one of the things, well, no, it's serious. People might be listening to this. The weather block of a newscast is very important to a newscast and also one of the the more commercially viable parts of the newscast. And when you have one of the best in the buildings, give them all the time they need is my philosophy. But I wanted to ask you something about the evolution of weathercasting. So many people sure. now get their weather information from smartphones, from apps, maybe from some yes. website. Has that changed in any way, or forced you to change your presentation style?
0: Oh, I, the whole media world has been transformed. We, uh, when I started, you prepared uh, radio programs, uh, broadcasts, and you, uh, you you did television weather shows. Today, we're on all the platforms. Uh, our media companies realize they've got to go where the audience is. And the audience is on handheld devices and uh, online and uh, tracking Facebook and uh, Twitter and all the rest. So, um, you know, the job today has become uh, far more uh, broadly based. Uh, We're on, as we say, on all the platforms and working uh, on that. Do you you think it's a good or bad thing, Tom? that we have these I, because I've heard
1: mixed feelings. I heard some younger colleagues that have gotten into the business that have gotten out because they feel like they can't focus just on being a meteorologist. They're having to do so many things. What's your thought on this as uh, someone
0: has seen it all? Oh, I think, uh, I think there is some legitimate, uh, criticisms on that. I find, you know, at many television stations, uh, they go out and, uh, contract with outside, uh, uh, weather providers, uh, for for instance, a lot of the digital iconic forecasts you get on these handheld devices, and they put our names on it, but we really don't do those forecasts. Uh, we're concentrating on our television and, and so forth, but they want to have a presence 24 hours. And, uh, and of course, I always feel, find iconic forecasts terribly lacking anyway. Uh, they simp- The weather is far more complex than one icon can communicate on a forecast. And... Um, I think our severe weather coverage um, at times gets a little out of hand. (laughs) I, you know, well, you know, I'm often put at the top of the show with an inch of snow forecast in January or a cold air outbreak. Uh, And I've, I've had many discussions with producers. I feel that position in the newscast ought to be reserved for a true catastrophe, uh, you know, or something that's really of life threatening consequence. And I'm, Told in rebuttal uh, that uh, uh, well, you know, you've got rush hour traffic, and an inch of snow can cause as much trouble as uh, sometimes a sixteen-inch snow. And there's well, some we, truth certain, to that. we
1: certainly know about that down here in Atlanta. If you remember the apocalypse a couple of years ago,
0: but uh, but no, oh. I can
1: certainly see see sort of the sort of pushback on either side of that, given the importance of weather
0: to the overall station uh, bottom line to some degree. Well, I think uh, uh, you know if we if we overreact to some of these situations, I think we uh, diminish the credibility. Uh, I think people uh, people pretty well understand how the media works, and they view it as uh, a hyping a situation for ratings. And I must tell you that I have never. Uh, in my career had a news director come in and say, look, you're going to invent a situation that isn't developing, uh, that isn't real uh, in order for us to get higher ratings. Um, What's been discovered, though, Marshall, as you well know, is and have so eloquently put across is the fact that weather is very important. When I started uh, 40, 50 years ago, um, you were told by the news consultants that they – Uh, referring to your audience, we're only interested in if it's going to rain and what the temperature is going to be, and only for tomorrow. The five-day forecast was not really, uh, you know, something people waited for. Uh, That has radically changed. Now, uh, you know, if there's a reason to put the weather on, um, it's viewed as a reason to go with the weather. Um, And in a way, I'm grateful uh, that that's happened because it, it reinforces my view that uh, that I've always had that people are inherently interested in this amazing atmosphere within which all of us operate and the its workings yeah i Um, would agree agree
1: with that as well tom that's how the whole weather geeks concept came about here at the weather channel i mean mike (laughs) chesterfield who's from naperville uh executive producer of weather geeks and director of uh, of graphics and presentations here i'm not sure of his exact title you know they sort of tapped into this notion that people love weather and they they didn't want it sort of at a cursory level they wanted a deep dive into what we as meteorologists we're doing and the concepts and Absolutely. The techniques that we're using and even with this podcast they're getting the eavesdrop on two experts in the field you and i <laughs> and so that's right yeah so this is what the, the whole concept of what we're trying to do with weather geeks
0: well i you've taken it to a new level and i uh, and uh, you know it's it's so fun to see somebody else who shares such a deep passion but also uh, has developed the means to communicate with the public, because I think people are interested in this. And why not? We uh, swim in this oceanic atmosphere every single day. It affects the way our bodies work. It affects our outlook on life, whether we can work on certain days or go to school. Uh, our health, our, uh, you know, our fitness, uh, it it affects every aspect of our lives. So little wonder that people would find it interesting, even down to the basic, uh, how do I dress for tomorrow? Uh, There's so many levels on which the weather impacts our lives every single day and every moment of every day.
1: Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about
0: why. I thought it was an eco move
1: are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall she- Shepard and we are in our last segment and I've enjoyed it so much, but I want to use this last segment to just pick Tom Skilling's brain on a couple of things because he's a big believer in education. I know he has some thoughts on climate and the climate change discussion, but before I get to those two things, I did want to ask you, what is Chicago's toughest forecast over your years there, 40 years What is the most difficult sort of forecast
0: scenario that you deal with there? I think uh, these winter storms, um, which often can produce a variety of weather across the same viewing area. I literally one day had uh, a situation in which (laughs) there was flash flooding going on the south end of DuPage County, our uh, immediate western county here. Uh, And there was a blizzard in progress in the north end of it. And uh, I had people calling me names on both sides of the rain snow line, um, and I, you know, the guy, the people in the blizzard area says, "What are you talking about a uh, uh, flash flood? Uh, we're we've got zero visibility out here." And then I hung up from that call, and we, you know, we had laid it out beautifully, I thought, and clearly. But um, then somebody called from the rainy side of the rain snow line and said, you're crazy. I, you know, what's this talk of snow? It's raining like crazy and my road is flooding and my yard. Um, so yeah, it, the variety of weather and placing these rain snow lines continues, even in this day and age, to be a, a real challenge. And uh, and one that's uh, interesting to and, and challenging to communicate, though we have marvelous graphics today to, that allow us to do this. And of course, the commu- computer modeling that's been done uh, is just amazing.
1: Yeah, the high resolution stuff coming out now, the HRR model wow. and others is just unbelievable. Yeah, but the, living in Atlanta and having lived in a D.C. area, that rain snow line, I would agree, oh, is a, a significant headache as well. Yes. Um, I, I want to kind of pivot to a discussion that you kind of teased earlier in the podcast, and that's this sort of divergent view at times among even broadcast meteorologist colleagues on climate change. What what is your thought on this and has it evolved any or has it sort of been pretty steady all along?
0: Oh, it's it's evolved uh, uh, amazingly. Uh, I am absolutely convinced. I don't think there's any uh, any question that our climate is changing. And it's doing so profoundly and rapidly and with uh, incredible consequences. I mean, look at this past summer. Wildfires in the West, flooding, uh, Florence representing, uh, you know, uh, two states, producing two states' record tropical cyclone rainfalls, uh, and add that to Hawaii and Texas, and it's done it within a year. We've had four flood situations in the Chicago area at one point or another during the past year. You have drought in in Europe and uh, wildfires in northern Scandinavia, drought in Australia, Japan going from heat to floods, um, you know, and and incredible heat in uh, Pakistan and India and so forth. This is happening, and what's really distressing is that uh, the current political leadership in Washington doesn't get it. Uh, you feel inclined to say, boy, I wish somebody out there would pick up a book or bring a scientist into the mix to inform them about what's going on. This is not the time to be taking the approach burn, baby, burn when it comes to fossil fuels. Um, I just bought an electric car. It's the best thing I've ever done. It's definitely the wave of the future. I think the day will come, Marshall, when we look at gas stations, as being uh, you know a, a part of antiquity the way we do the blacksmiths
1: yeah, I, um, I, I could see that being the case, but I want to pick up on something you just said, um, because it was a question I wanted to ask you, because I know how uh, big you are at uh, giving talks and going out into schools. Do you think we're doing enough? Because I think part of the issue, no, look, some some of the sort of whole climate pushback is just a misinformation c- campaign because as Upton Sinclair has said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. So some of that That's is certainly point. at play, but do you think we're getting enough science in elementary schools and lessons across the country to counter no. some of this?
0: No, I don't. And uh, and I, I think we in the media uh, have to do more as well. Um, look, you don't want to shove this down people's throat because there'll be an obvious uh, uh, adverse reaction to that. Uh, and that's not our intention. This, first of all, is not a political issue. It's a scientific issue. Uh, Where it becomes political is we need policymakers to do and make informed judgments on what to do about it or try and do about it. Um, But, uh, no, I think we have to. uh, I think using real time, I think this effort to attribute extreme weather events uh, and climate change's role in them where it's possible uh, is a good move yeah, because this she's the, talking
1: about attribution science for those that are yes. listening. It's kind of the forefront of the climate science, and I, I agree it has potential. Can be can be misused, I would, uh,
0: but I think you're right. I think yes. it's something that we certainly need to go down that road. I think you're right, Marshall, and uh, and I know you do it in your column regularly and uh, and eloquently. Uh, I've worked. I have the joy of working with Don Wobbles out of the University of Illinois. He's one of the major. Yes. uh, He's amazing. He's behind the National Climate Assessments. He was one of the movers and shakers in getting the Montreal Protocol passed that banned chlorofluorocarbon propellants from our aerosol cans. They were destroying our ozone layer. And we found recently the Chinese are cheating on that and releasing CFC uh, back into the air again. Uh, They've been identified and uh, something presumably will be done about that. But uh, it you know the Montreal Protocol proved one thing we got all the countries of the world together and working toward one goal and we proved that we can have an impact on uh, negative trends in our uh, environment and uh, we should be approaching this the same way. I I'm horrified at what I've seen go on uh, uh, with the policy, this dismantling of the EPA, this scrubbing of climate change uh, data and mention. Uh, from uh, EPA websites, uh, among others, Uh, the banning of the use of the term climate change in Florida among state officials. I think this is preposterous uh, and ill-timed, to put it mildly. So um, I think we must continue to educate and point out to people because unless it happens in people's backyards, I don't think they understand that this really is an issue. But
1: but, and, but, but, uh, uh, Tom, but Tom, one of the things that I've heard from colleagues in our field and is you know you're a broadcaster and you you have a certain stature. There are some uh, I'm, I'm you know this was something that I dealt with while I was president of AMS. This notion yes. that in some markets there are some broadcast meteorologists oh. that are hesitant to talk about the topic or even want even mention it for fear
0: of pushback, for ratings oh. not coming across. How how have you navigated that? Marshall, I, I think just longevity in the market. I'm able to say things that a young broadcaster and, and meteorologist might not uh, be able to say. And I absolutely concur with you. I think there's some markets. I, we're pretty progressive up here in Chicago. Um, uh, you can talk about climate change. And when I look at the forums that we do, I've been working with a lot of our Congress people and all who have um, put together public forums on this. The turnouts are amazing. The level of question, questioning that goes on in this indicates we've got a population that understands this is an issue and is curious and interested in informing themselves more about it. There are some markets where you couldn't do that, I'm sure. Um, and it's a shame. I, uh, that's a real dilemma. Yeah, no you, question you, about it. You, you talked about
1: forums. I wanted to make sure I talked to you a little bit about tornado and severe storm seminar at Fermi Lab. that's going on yes. what, 30, 35 years or so. Uh, is that, is that you know, still happening? Uh,
0: it, it, well, you know, this was the first year we didn't do it. And we've done it every April and we have had a literal who's who of the science, the severe weather, uh, research and forecast community in Gosh, we've had Ted Fujita. We've had uh, Chuck Doswell. You could run down the list. Uh, uh, Burgess has been in. Uh, even Kelvin Droegemeier uh, was the one current, of our speakers. Science advisor uh, just
1: recently confirmed for the president.
0: Oh, I, I'll tell you, his his presentation on uh, numerical modeling of the atmosphere, which I had to go Google it to remember the year that we had Kelvin in. Uh, it was 2005. I, no lie, Marshall, this was one of the best presentations. I just sat there in awe listening to him describe to a lay audience uh, what's involved in this. The presentation was engaging. It was fascinating. It was articulate. And uh, and it is beautifully done as any I've ever heard on a complex subject like this. Um, he is uh, amazing, as have been uh, so many. Don Burgess talking about uh, Doppler radar's role and the work he's done over a career in this uh, in this arena we've had uh, folks from NASA, your uh, alma mater, uh, one of them and uh, I, you know what an amazing organization that is. That's why we've got to watch carefully and make sure that uh, a, a, an incredible operation like NASA, uh, one of the gems in this country's crown uh, is not is properly funded and uh, not restrained yeah, uh, I, by I the political it. climate. I completely
1: agree, and I I serve on NASA's, I chair at NASA's Earth Science Advisory Committee, and I will say that uh, Administrator Bridenstine has been very um, uh, saying the right things and doing the right things on that topic. I'm running out of time, but I wanted to get your final (laughs) thoughts on what you think the future of weather forecasting and on-air weather presentation is. Uh, Is is there something that you see in your crystal ball in the zero-to-five-year-out or zero-to-ten-year-out time frame that you just see coming?
0: Well, I, I'll tell you something. I think uh, this immersion graphic technology that uh, the Weather Channel uh, employed to describe storm surge, for instance, we're going to see more of this. We're, this improvement in visualization of science, uh, including meteorology, is going to continue as we have better and better computers and better and better software to uh, put these uh, these sorts of presentations across. The modeling that's done uh, is getting better by the day. Uh, and it's really astounding. We're going to see that continue to improve. Um, I think, uh, the the outlook is, is very sunny. Uh, there are a lot of platforms, uh, on which this information will be communicated and that, uh, reach a greater number of people. And so I think, uh, I think for those of us who are engaged in this line of work, it's going to be a fascinating period. And I include the research community that on whose shoulders all of us stand
1: uh, as media types. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, you know it's one of the things that was big that we tried to do during my tenure at AMS is really foster this notion of the the weather enterprise, and I think you're a big part of it. If if my career ended today, this is one of the highlights of it, having a chance to spend oh. this uh, little under an hour with Marshall. you, Tom Skilling. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> gracious and uh, uh, thank you so so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
0: Marshall, it has been an honor beyond words to work with you on this, and I um, I hope we do it again. And I'm just thrilled that I've had a chance finally to talk with you from, from, from person to person. I, I look forward to doing it face to face one of these days. Yeah, so, we
1: um, will. I, I will certainly take, uh, take you up on that, and that's where we have to end it. Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks Podcast.